this week, we saw Roe v. Wade overturned. Come on. We are extremely grateful for that. And, um, but we have a lot of work to do. I was talking to Lori. She was jailed um, for her pro-life stance. And um, it's, it's amazing what, uh, what, what takes place, you know, that people have stood for the unborn. And um, as we talk today, we're going to continue our Gateway series. If you haven't picked up a copy of uh, our book, Sue and I, on gatekeepers and Watchmen on the Wall, it is a, a thorough explanation of the gates. I'm not doing a thorough, thorough explanation of the gates today, but I want to talk on the dung gate today. And uh, the dung gate, it's, it's probably my favorite gate to teach on, just because it's the dung gate. You know, it's almost like a bathroom joke, you know, like, is this, we're talking about the dung gate today, you know? I can use all the bathroom jokes and be legitimate. I'm not going to, though. But guess what was taking place at the dung gate was the murder of innocent blood. That's what was taking place at the Dungate. And when we look and we talk about our message on the enemies at the gates, there are enemies that you and I have to deal with as believers. Um, I would love to talk about, you know, unicorns, cotton candy, and rainbows, and explain to you that's how life will be that once you're a Christian. But we find in the scriptures that um, we need to submit ourselves to God. That's our part. We have to submit. People don't submit to God. You don't have any authority to res resist the enemy. How many want to be able to resist the enemy when the enemy comes against you? I want to be able to resist what the enemy's doing. And so to resist him, we first must submit ourselves to God's plan, God's ways, and God's purposes. You know, when God, when, when God, went, when God came down on Mount Sinai, he didn't give Moses the ten suggestions and said, here's Moses, here's my commands. I was just thinking these would work. Would you find out what everybody feels like down there and get back with me? You guys with me this morning? Yeah. How do you guys feel about this? I remember discussing, I used to work in a retirement home with a bunch of retired uh, Methodist ministers. It was great. And I would walk around and we'd talk about controversial <laughs> Bible topics. And she's like, well, I know the Bible says this, but I feel, and I said, that's the problem. <laughs> Who cares how you feel? God didn't ask us how we feel. There's a level of rejection that you face when you stand with the word of God. Deal with it. You're not going to be the next famous TikToker by standing with Jesus. Can I just tell you? Sorry to disappoint you. What? No, I'm just kidding. So we're dealing with the resistance, and the resistance we hit at the dumb gate is called the Python spirit. It's in Acts 16. 16, and I want to, you know, you'll, you'll have to get into the book to learn more about the python spirit, but it talks about divination and witchcraft. How many know there's a spirit of divination and witchcraft over our nation right now? And how many know that it's actually tied to the shedding of the innocent blood that's going on in our society right now? Abortion is murder. Abortion in the womb is murder. The only thing Indiana has to do right now to, to come in line to ban abortion completely in our state is to, rem is to remove from the criminal status, the words um, legalized abortion, because it says if you, mur if you kill someone, you, it's a crime except for a legalized abortion. We just have to strike that out. So please call your representative this week, Brad Barrett, and talk to him and explain to him, you want abortion abolished in the state of Indiana. That's what we stand for. Now, when, I was, when this all came to pass, you know, there was, there was the shedding of innocent blood in, at the Dungate. This is actually where the, the shedding of innocent blood, the, the, they called passing your children through the fire. They were murdering their children at the Dungate. And this is, the, the word for hell in Greek is Gehenna. Everybody say Gehenna. Give them hell today, Chris. Go ahead, say it. Just give them hell today, right? I'm going to give you hell today. This is what hell is. I'm going to explain. I'm going to talk about hell today because that's what Gehenna means. It's the place where the Dungate was, Gehenna. It was called the Sons of Hinnom is where the Dungate was, and that's where we get the actual uh, word for hell is Gehenna. We see the Valley of Hinnom is a, is a ravine. Can you put up my map here? It's a ravine south and southwest of Jerusalem. So here we have the Dungate. Below would be the Kidron Valley or the, the place of the sons of Hinnom. 
the valley of Hinnom, which in, it's gay, which means valley, in Hinnom, which means this, the, the family of Hinnom, the valley was actually where abortion was taking place, where the murder of uh, innocent children was taking place. It was a fire that was burning. And this was a place that we're talking about today, we're hitting on today, because um, this is such a place that we need to learn how to uh, identify what's happening at this gate. We see that this came a place of idol worship and child sacrifice. And the dung gate was a place where there was always a fire burning. Um, it was a place where the, the, the people in Jerusalem would take their trash. But it became this place of idol worship and sacrifice. And um, what happens is, is we see that, that God raised up a king named Josiah. And what he did is he actually defiled this place and he destroyed it. His grandfather was one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. And this is what he, even though he defiled it, he stopped the practice of the shedding of innocent blood. We see this in 2 Kings 23.10. Let me read what it says in 2 Kings 24, 3 and 4. It says, Surely at the commandment of Yahweh this came on Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh. Fifty-five years Manasseh reigned. During those 55 years, he slaughtered innocent children at the Dungate. And this is what God says. He says he is, he's bringing destruction to Judah according because of Manasseh, also for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with the innocent blood, and Yahweh would not pardon. The reason why Jerusalem was destroyed is because of the shedding of the innocent blood in a prior reign to Josiah, this, this young man went in and he, he stopped it. He ended that practice over the land. And I tell you that this is actually the scripture in my Bible reading I read on June 24th, the time that Roe v. Wade was, uh, was, was voted against. And what we see happening is just because that we've seen America turn, the Supreme Court turn, there is still the accountability of the blood of 60 million children that have been slaughtered. So we have a lot of work to do. Like, this is good news, friends. This is good news. But can I tell you, all hell's going to break out right now because the left right now loves the idea of shedding innocent blood. That's, they've, been, they've been driven by this whole idea of abortion. And that's what they're going to drive to, and they're going to continue to press. There's going to be um, a lot of pushback. But we cannot, friends, we cannot back down from making it illegal to murder a child in the mother's womb in every case, in every case, because it's murder. It's the shedding of innocent blood. We see what happens when we talk about Nehemiah, when he was examining the walls. Guess what gate he got stuck at was the dung gate. And I think that there are a lot of Christians who stumble over what we talk, what we're going to talk about today, because I'm going to give you the theology of hell. It's not something we talk about every week, but Jesus talked about hell in 46 different verses in the Bible. And let me tell you what my goal is today when we talk about the dung gate and we talk about hell. My goal is that we line up with the teachings of Jesus. How many think that's a good plan? Let's line ourselves up with what the Bible says. Even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if we lose friends, the goal is I want to line up with truth because when we speak truth, it'll set us free. Is our if I pass for you this morning, you know, there's people that are going to disagree with us on the stance of hell. There's going to be people who disagree with Jesus. Not a good plan. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to man. People are going to tell you, well, that just doesn't seem right. Yep. There's a way that seems right to man, but in it, but in its end is the way of death. We have to let people know just because you feel a certain way, that doesn't change the way God feels. And God's rules don't change based on our feelings. It's awful quiet here in this Methodist church this morning. Here we go. <laughs> Dung, the, hell is, I'm going to teach you these three things. Hell is a real place, and that's, it, it, it's, it is eternal. Number two, I'm going to talk about the Dungate, how it represents hell. It represented hell in the time of Jesus. Number three, that some teachings in the church are populating hell. How many know the teachings of the church should not be populating hell? That's not a good plan. 
So I'm going to give you hell today. That doesn't sound very good. Did you know that there was a survey done a number of years ago, and it talked about that 90% of America would, would identify as Christian. This was a number of years ago. But only 4% would agree that hell exists. So we have our work to do, my friends. And only 2% of them believe that they could ever go there. So we see what's happened in our society and some of the doctrines of demons that are, are being uh, spewed out because if we have to line ourselves up with God's word. And the first thing I want to go over today is hell for real. Because this is a, a, a question that we're asked oftentimes and that people are uncomfortable to talk about. Jesus was, as again, Jesus spoke about hell in 46 different verses. He said this in Mark 9. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than, than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And he says, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, how many think that Jesus is, he's using hyper, what do you call it, hyperbole? I can't say that word. Thank you. Hyperbole, I said it. Put, just putting the accent on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, it's an exaggeration to get his point across. He's telling you that hell is a place you do not want to go. It's a serious place. Now, if we took it literally, most of us here would be, you know, oh, that's a Christian. He's cut, he has one arm and one leg, and you know, he'd be like that. We took it literally. But what's Jesus doing? He's saying, listen, I'm telling you, this is serious stuff. We have to identify with his message. And he says it's a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched what he says and fire represents external pain he's warning us like this is a place where fire exists and it burns eternally he goes on to say and it's also a place where the worm never dies worms represent internal pain and it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth teeth according to the words of Jesus so we have to line ourselves up with his theology not the newest book the newest woke pastor who's come up with this idea. And we need to walk with the truth. Worms, you figure, that's not a nice topic to talk about, but, you know, a lot of, did you know that, it's interesting because it says there's gnashing of teeth. Did you know that when people oftentimes have parasites, they grind their teeth? You know, not a good picture to take with you this morning, but hey, it's where we're at. But your Savior, Jesus, came to deliver you from this place. Think about that. He left heaven, was nailed to that cross, and he suffered on this planet for you and I so that we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to go there. He did that for us because our salvation is not something we're entitled to. It's something that he purchased for us. The ability to be saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from that place called hell. Thank you, Lord. And we should be excited and grateful for what he's done to deliver us. Number two, we have to ask the question, is hell for us? Hell was initially created for the devil and his angels. Never God's heart or God's intention for you or I or any people to, to enter into this place of torment. In Matthew 25, 41, it's, he's, Jesus is uh, referring to the, the, the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he says to them, he says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for humankind, not for us. Amen. It was never his plan and never his heart. But when people have chosen to follow the devil, follow his plan, there's this beautiful thing called free will and free choice that's haunting, it's terrifying, but to be made in the image of God, we must have that choice. Yeah, and to have free will means that we can choose where we spend eternity, but we have a, a savior who wants to deliver us, 
who wants to set us free from the grips of hell. And he's done that. He did the work to set us free. And now we need to receive it with joy into our hearts and tell the world about what Jesus has done. There's a story that Jesus tells, and it's about a rich man and another man named Lazarus. And he tells this story, Jesus, he says, there was a rich man in Luke 16 who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried. I want to tell you a few things I want you to identify and remember from this story that Jesus is telling. Number one, this is not a parable. A lot of times people say, oh, it's just a parable, it's a story, it's, it's kind of a, a picture, like he's using a word picture, a parable. This is not a parable because Jesus uses an actual name of a person. Any, every other parable that Jesus speaks, he never identifies and names a person. There's actually a person named Lazarus right now that one day we will meet in heaven. But there is a rich man, according to the Bible, who is being tormented in hell right now. We also see that in hell, that there's a, it, there's a, that both these places, that there's a, a place where you go, you either go to a, a good place or a bad place. Both died and both exist now in two other places. The Bible says man is appointed once to die and then face judgment. You will decide based on how you live your life about where you will spend, either in heaven or in hell. There's no such thing as a place called purgatory. That's a, that's a lie birthed out of the, the Middle Ages. You're, you have a choice. You're either going to spend eternity in, in the place of eternal everlasting life or the place of everlasting death, according to what Jesus says. Number three, in hell, there's agony. He's suffering. It's a place of memory. You're going to find that the rich man has a memory. He remembers what it was like when he was on the planet. There's also regret. He has regret. He has concern for his, his relatives, and we'll read that. We read about the rich man. And he says in Hades or in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So hell is a place where he can see, he can look. He's, his, his body is functioning. He goes on, and it says, he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Notice in heaven and between heaven and hell, in the Old Testament, they called this Abraham's bosom it was a place of heaven. It was a place where the, the righteous would go after death. And we believe that most scholars believe, I believe this, is that there was a chasm. There was a chasm between this place of torment in Abraham's bosom. And I believe that when Jesus actually, he delivered the righteous out of Abraham's bosom when he rose from the dead. He took the keys of hell and death and he delivered the righteous, uh, those who followed the Lord and, and were righteous, delivered them out of Abraham's bosom. But we see here that there is an uncrossable chasm that exists between that place. There's an uncrossable chasm, which, which we must be reminded, as Lazarus was in hell, he could see, he could feel. He was in agony. He was, he was asking, please let Lazarus just come and, and dip his finger to touch my tongue. This is a place where we need to warn people and tell people, if you rebel against God, you deny his son, Jesus Christ, this is the place that the Bible says you will spend eternity in, in hell, we find the rich man, he was longing for his family. I mean, think about it. He was there going, I hope 
no one comes here. I hope that no one in my family comes to this place because I'm in torment. He said, this is what he says in Luke 16. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham says, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So there's a longing in hell, a, a, a place of regret. And then he tells them, he says, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if you send someone from the dead to go tell him, they will repent. Like he's saying, send Lazarus from this place. Let him raise from the dead and go tell my brothers. Tell them. And Jesus says, and Abraham says this, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is a parable, right? That's not a parable. It's just, he's, he's using this story to connect that this is what brings, this is what destroys that place of, of worry and concern for us because Jesus himself, through rising from the dead, gives us access to be free, to enter into that place of eternal life versus going to this place of destruction. And we're called to believe what Jesus teaches us about this place and not compromise. And there are doctrines of demons that are being taught in the body of Christ right now that I want to mention just a few of them, if that's okay. And I want to talk to you because what we find is this teaching of hell because it is very um, concerning. It's an awakening to us. It's like, wow, this is a serious, urgent matter. But there are people out there that, that have not embraced what Jesus is saying. The first doctrine I want to talk about is the doctrine, I call them these doctrines of demons. And number one is the doctrine that once saved, always saved. Has anybody ever heard that doctrine? Most Baptist churches will teach this. It's the, one of the first thing they teach, that you can never lose your salvation. Can I tell you that that is one of those dangerous teachings out there? And let me tell you just straight up why I don't believe that. Because number one, it violates a person's free will. If you commit your life at eight to Jesus, and when you're 13, and you say, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, I don't want to go to heaven, God will never violate a person's human will. And when, you, and when we teach this, it's almost like, no, God's in control. It, I'll tell you, that's one of the statements that makes the hair in my neck stand up. God's not in control. He's in charge. He's not in control about what happens here on this planet, my friend. We are. You understand how we have bucked authority in our life. We have not taken our place, a rightful place of authority. People blame God for the starving children all over the world. Did you know if you just took like a fourth of the, the uh, most hundred richest people in the world, just a fourth of their income, everyone would be fed. Think about that. And so it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's man's fault. We have all the resources we need, but people still blame God because of the bad things that are happening. So once saved, always saved is, and, and let me give you my perspective on salvation. Can I do that this morning? Yeah. And I've spent like weeks working on this artwork for you. It's just amazing. I mean, I'll, I'll be selling copies of it afterwards. It'll be very expensive. So put up my first little chart here. I think I have it, don't I? It's still there. <laughs> Smooth. Um, so copies will be sold about $500 a piece, and um, I'll be signing them at the bottom. Micah Dawkins. <laughs> so let me explain what, what I believe the Bible teaches about salvation. You can't lose your salvation because you never found it. This is very poor wording. You didn't win it, so you can't lose it. You can forfeit it. You understand the difference? You can't lose it. It's just bad teaching or bad terms. People think, oh, if I'm, so if I'm driving 56 miles an hour and I get in a car accident and I die because I was violating God's law, will I go to hell? No. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. How many have heard that argument before? Your salvation is not based 
your salvation is based on, salvation is a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Covenant is agreement between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've come into a new covenant with the Son of God. This is awesome. His blood. So you enter into this place of covenant. We, we are secure. Everybody say secure. secure. Now, what a lot of theologians do, they think, well, we got to make sure everybody's secure in their salvation. So we have to teach them that no matter what you do, you'll never lose it. That's a lie. You'll never forfeit it. Gosh. Okay. Got to speak it right. Use the right words. So when you enter into this covenant with Jesus, it's very secure. You can, you can sin. You can violate things. And this covenant will keep you secure. It would be like I, I'm coming home and, you know, my wife and I, we get married. And, and they're like, this is great. This is great. And, and she burns the toast. And I say, get out of here, woman. We're divorced. Like, that's a, that's a minor violation, you know. And it's nothing that... There's nothing that there would be that would be stupid. That would be idiotic. But if there was continuous adultery in this relationship, what I believe the next thing that happens, because salvation is a covenant, hear me, it's a covenant you make with Jesus. Can you put up the next slide? That if we are living in unrepentant disobedience, it weakens this covenant that we've stepped into. I don't know if you can see it, but there's this little bit of lines here. Every time we willfully disregard God's plan for our lives, that, that covenant is weakened. And what can happen, we can get to the place, next slide, where this, we've disintegrated the covenant so it no longer exists. We've forfeited. One of my favorite scriptures in Jonah 2.8 is those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You forfeit when you continually live in disobedience. We as Christians need to have the fear of God on our lives. If we're teaching people, Jesus saved you, and you can do whatever you want, and when you come and stand before the throne of God, he's going to say, welcome in, because it's not based on what you do. It is based on what you do. If you want to stay in covenant with Jesus, you can't continue to live in willful disobedience sin to him and expect to be in covenant. Nor would I expect my wife to stick with me if I was in willful uh, adultery. Any, any woman in her right mind would say, you're done, buddy. And you think that's what happens in the kingdom? Absolutely. Because you have violated your part of the covenant. Even though you never secured it, you didn't earn it, don't you abuse his grace. And when people choose to live that lifestyle, they're living for the devil and they're not living for God. And so we need to call out this this once saved, always saved garbage and call it what it is. And it, it does, does nothing but populates hell. And it, it's something that, it's probably some Baptist calling right now. <laughs> Let me talk to him real quick. So we, we have to take a, a closer look at some of those um, scriptures. The next, the next scripture I want to talk about uh, is, the next uh, doctrine is predestination. Everybody say predestination. You guys doing all right? Can I, can I teach you a little bit this morning? Uh, one of my least favorite theologians in the church is a guy named John Calvin. Um, I, 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 I hate his writings. I don't think this guy was, was worthy of, of anybody's study whatsoever. John Calvin, if you're being offended right now, it's just where I'm at. He's, he's actually the founder of the Presbyterian Church. And... Um, I can tell you this, that his, his stuff is the most boring stuff I've ever read in my life. And uh, I would encourage you to, um, if you feel called to it, but I think it's garbage. And uh, can I just, I forgot my filter in the car. My professor used to come to me, he said, what's, what's up with you and John Calvin? I said, the dude was like burning people at the stake. I'm not okay with that. I mean, he was burning people at the stake who disagreed with him. He wasn't cooking steaks for them, okay? He was killing them. Other believers. It, I, I can't read the guy's stuff. I just can't. So, uh, and don't read my stuff if I start killing other Christians, just so you know. Just not, not a good plan. Not something I'm going to put in my bio, okay? And he taught this idea, and some people say Calvin didn't really teach it, this idea that, that God chooses who will be saved and who won't be saved. It's called predestination. And it's the idea that we don't have to go out and tell anybody about Jesus because either they're already saved or they're not. God chose beforehand. So we have this teaching. And 
Can I tell you what's happened? Because of John Calvin, a lot of people stopped going to the mission field. They stopped evangelizing because, well, you might be, just, you might be saved, you might not be. And so if you haven't discovered that you're saved, well, you are. But there was no motivation to go. One of the first uh, mission, mission movements was uh, a guy named William Carey. And it's, it's a story that you'll always remember because William Carey just got touched by the gospel. And this is back in the 1700s. And he was urging a group of pastors that we need to get together and we need to send missionaries to the heathen. We need to send people to the mission field. And a certain pastor stood up and back and he said to William Carey, he said, sit down, young man. Sit down and be still. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting either you or me. That was his response. Why? Because he believed in this predestination idea that people either saved, uh, God chose them to be saved, or God chose them to be damned. Did you know that the China could have been completely led to Jesus back in the 13th century? That when Marco Polo returned, that the, the Khan had requested, it was a probably descendant of Genghis Khan, had requested that the Pope send 100 Christian missionaries and scientists to his land to teach his whole kingdom about the gospel and teach them about science. And the Pope at that time sent two guys that only got halfway there and turned around and came back. And then the whole region was converted to Buddhism because the Christian church wouldn't go. Ouch, what an opportunity. So John Calvin taught this, he said, we are taught that the kingdom of Christ is neither to be advanced nor maintained by the industry of men, but this is the work of God alone. Sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? And what we have to do is we have to confront these lies because these lies are populating hell instead of populating heaven. So predestination, garbage. Once saved, always saved. Garbage. The hyper-grace teaching. How many have heard about the hyper-grace teaching, right? And listen, I'm all for sloppy, greasy grace. I love grace. I mean, it's awesome. Like, it's all God. I get it. It's all Him. I mean, it, it's Him that saved me. I'm, it's nothing, none of my good works or anything that makes me saved. But that doesn't mean that I throw out a godly lifestyle and think I can live any way I want because of grace. That's not grace, friend. The grace of God teaches you to say no to ungodliness, okay? And I could go into this teaching... On, on grace, and there's a lot of good teaching out there about it, but Jude warns people about this teaching that's going on even back in, the, in like the first century. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among us. It says they are ungodly people. Everybody say ungodly. Who pervert the grace of God and they changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. Ouch. And they deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. There's a deny, they are denying Jesus Christ as Lord, and they're giving people, here, we're going to change the grace of God. Here's your license for immorality. Go do what you want to do, and God won't judge you. Can I, can I remind you of that covenant? Your, your salvation is secure in the Lord, but if you are continually disobedient to God, that covenant will be forfeited. And it's not that God pulls back, but you've forfeited, you've stepped out of the, your ability to remain in that place of salvation because of your lifestyle, unrepentant lifestyle. I believe your, your covenant with God is secure. It's based in Him. But if you continually rebel against His commands, judgment will come swiftly. I believe that's the true biblical teaching. Can I teach you from the Bible this morning? I believe with all my heart that that's what the Bible says, and we cannot back down from it. I'm not, you know, this is, a, this is not a sermon that you're going to walk away with, change. I understand completely. There's a lot of questions. It's good to have. This is, I got the mic. This is what conclusion I came to. And people often say, well, well Chris, you know, when he talk about the gospel, what about someone who's never heard the gospel before? Right? What about people before the cross? What about people who are, were in a foreign land? Can I tell you this? This is my response to people. 
I say, imagine if there was a plane flying over the Atlantic Ocean and it had 300 people in it and it crashed in the middle of the Atlantic. Our conclusion is that no one survived. That's our conclusion. Could people have survived? Absolutely. I'm not the one to tell you that, hey, hey those people have never heard. Um, they're going to go to hell or they're going to go to heaven. But I can tell you from what I understand, our assumption should be there won't be survivors unless we go. That's my assumption. Now, I've heard other stories where people have encountered people that they, they have met the Lord and they had general revelation. And, and I agree with that to an extent. But I will tell you this, that our assumption is unless you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe that God's son is who he says he is because Jesus said, if you don't claim who I am, you will die in your sins. And remember, most of Jesus' warnings about hell were not to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. It was to the religious people out there. It were those who were opposing, those in power, those in places in pride. We talked about, you know, last week we talked about pride. Uh, let's deal with our pride, right? Like, that's who Jesus talked to, that, about hell to, not the, the prostitutes. The goal is this, is that we have to have this unction to go. And we as the church have to understand Jesus' teachings about hell. The last thing I want to close with is, is hell forever now, this is such a horrible thought to imagine people separated from God for eternity. And we have to look into the scriptures and define what is hell, what is the lake of fire, and give you my, this theologically, what I understand from the scriptures based on my teaching and my understanding. The Bible says this in Daniel 12, 2 and 3. It says this. This is the Old Testament. It says, and many of those who sleep, sleep is a picture of death, and the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And here we have these pictures even in the Old Testament about everlasting life and everlasting shame. We have this picture of these two places that people will spend their eternity in. Revelations 20, 14 says, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the second death. Everybody say second death. Now, some, some of these woke pastors will tell you, well, Jesus never, or, or Paul never talks about hell. You'll never find the word hell in Paul's writings. Paul refers to hell as spiritual death. That's what, how he refers to it. But I said, what idiot would ever teach that Paul is going to go against the teachings of Jesus? Hello? He's not. He may use different terminology, but Paul's belief on hell is identical to Jesus' teachings on hell. When we look into the idea the, of the second death, there's a few thoughts that I want to leave you with today. Matthew 25, 46 says this. And, he, and again, we're talking about the sheep and the goats. He says this. He says, these will go away into eternal punishment, speaking about the goats, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus saying goats to eternal punishment and the sheep will go into eternal life. Uh, Don Richardson, a great missionologist, one of my favorite people on the planet, he said this. He said, Greek scholars affirm that the word aeonion, which is a Greek word for eternal, clearly means eternal or everlasting. In Matthew 25, 46 Aeon, Aeon defines the duration not only of eternal punishment, but of eternal life as well. This is what I want you to take away. Thus, if we are trying to claim that hell is temporary, so is heaven. So if you are going to try to convince people that hell is not eternal, start, you're going to need to start convincing people that heaven is not eternal. Why aren't we teaching that then? So th there's, there's this woke idea that we need to change the word of God for our society. We need to uh, back down from what the teachings of Jesus are. And can I tell you that um, 
that's not a good plan. We have to hold, we have to be students of the word of God. We have to be Bereans. We have to study this out and, and pursue it. I'm going to put a, uh, a YouTube video on our Facebook um, about a guy who spent 23 minutes in hell. And he will explain this in a lot deeper sense. And it was interesting because he went to hell on, he, he went to hell on November 23rd, 1998, the day my son Ephraim was born. It was just interesting. I heard that. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Okay. But part of that is he experienced hell. And I can tell you, I know many people said, if all of us were dangled over hell for just 30 seconds, we would have a new perspective of evangelism, wouldn't we? And I think it'd probably be better for all of us to have that experience than have the experience of heaven. And so reading about 23 minutes in hell and reading about this story, guys, we just need to line ourselves up with Jesus' teaching, whether people like it or not. We need to line ourselves up with, with Jesus' teaching. I can tell you this about abortion. People are going to hate our guts because we believe life begins at conception and that every child conceived in the womb needs to be protected. And if that child's life is taken, it is murder in our state. We have to stick to that. And this is what the left is going to manifest demons, I can tell you. And be ready for it. It's okay. But we have to contend. We have to stop this evil in our land. God hates the shedding of innocent blood, and we have to hold truth. We have to hold to that truth. So we see this, if heaven, if heaven is eternal, hell's eternal. And people say, well, hell is just the place where eventually God will, um, will call them back and they'll be atoned for their sins and they'll be restored. I don't see that concept in the Bible. I see that when even there'll be talk about hell, but remember what I said is that Jesus said that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. So people who say, well, hell isn't forever, I say, I say, I agree with you to an extent because death and hell is actually cast into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is eternal. You guys following me? Death and hell are cast into there. So any of, any of that theology, I'm like, well, no, it's, it's a place where God never wants people to be. He never wants any human to be. We have to do our part to evangelize and give our lives to get the message of Jesus to the people that we love. I always say we need to be praying for our unsaved loved ones. And uh, somebody one, one time made a mistake and they said, we, also, we need to be praying for our unloved saved ones. I'm like, yeah, that too. Okay, but you understand like how many feel the need to pray more right now and the need to evangelize, like we've got a 2% ain't gonna cut it, my friends. Like we have to get out there. We have to get the message out there and step out and realize like this is the real deal. And again, I believe in hell, but I don't believe that's like the, the you know message A. I'm gonna give the people. It's it's but it's but it's there. It's message B. You know, like here's message A, but there is a hell. And don't ask me to deny the scriptures. Don't ask me. I'm not going to kick me out of this place. I'm not gonna deny what the scripture says. And don't expect, we, and people say, I don't like that. Well, then you don't like what Jesus said. Yeah. That's on you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You guys with me this morning? Yeah. All right. So, interesting. This is the, the qualifications. Jesus lists the qualifications of hell, Revelations 21, 7, 8. You, ask, you guys ask me, like, why, is, why you, you, as a pastor, you're so bold. You just step out. You say things that you probably shouldn't say because I don't want to be a coward. I can, can I tell you, I read this scripture? Like, read this scripture with me. It's in uh, Revelations. Cowards go to hell. That's why I'm not a coward. Because I have the fear of God on me. If I, if I keep my mouth shut, I'm not, I'm not, I don't worry about going to hell. I don't. But that just awakens me. When I have the fear of man come over me, I'm like, no, I fear God. Because it says the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, and those are those who want abortion. They're murderers. It's not abortion, it's murder. The sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Why is the left so sickly possessed with allowing murder in the womb? Because it gives them power. That shedding of innocent blood, it empowers the left. It empowers the Democratic Party. And that's why this issue is, is going to cause them to explode with anger and violence and riots because it's been their power source. Our power is in the blood of Jesus. You see how sick it is? We need to call it what it is. We can't vote Democrat, just telling you. The Democrat left you a long time ago. If you're a Christian, they left you a long time ago. We cannot vote for people who do not stand for life in the womb. That's a major issue. That's the issue on God's heart. Can I tell you, as your pastor, we talks about, you read through the kings, and he says, this king was this and that, was great and this, but failed to take down the high places. That's where child sacrifice took place. They were judged based on how they dealt with child sacrifice. You, will, you and I will be judged in our generation of how we responded to abortion. We, it will be written. How will that book be written about your life? That's on you. I've, I've studied this out. I'm like, yep, everything came back down to their perspective on the innocent blood that's being shed. And I'm going to be on the right side on that. I don't care what people say or people do. Cowardly. Can't do that. I'm going to close with this. And, and, and another thought here. I love this. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. <laughs> Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So don't fear people just because they can attack our body. Some of us might be attacked. There might be, there's martyrs for Christ in this room. I believe that. I tell people I won't be a victim of the devil, but I can be a martyr for Christ. I'm good with that. I'm not afraid of you. You can kill my body. You can't kill my soul. All right. Now, you're, it's interesting when we talk about why do I believe that heaven is forever and, and hell is forever? Because some people teach this idea of annihilation, that God will just wipe them out, completely annihilate the evil, and they won't exist anymore. I disagree with that. This is the reason why. When we were created, notice that it never says he will destroy your spirit. It doesn't say that. Because your spirit cannot be destroyed ever. You have something inside of you that's eternal. Eternal. That's your spirit. When God made you a spirit, he puts you in a body. But what connects your spirit to your body is your soul. Your soul. That's what connects it. So when your soul and your body are destroyed, your spirit is eternal. It lives forever and it can never be destroyed. Because you're made in the image of the creator. Are you guys with me this morning? So can your spirit be annihilated? Never. Because it's God's breath. And this is a sobering message for all of us. But didn't it feel good to line up with God's truth? Because I believe it resonates. It just resonates in our hearts. This is our call. This is what we need to do. It's It's sobering. It's an awakening message, but we have to take this message. God will bless us when we align with heaven and bring heaven to earth. You and I were created in the image of God. That place called the second death is not a place for you and I that we ever have to experience. Those of you listening online today, I can tell you that Jesus came to save you from that place called hell, that place of torment. He came to save you from that. That's why he went to the cross. And Jesus said that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. What does that mean? That means that you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, and you commit yourself to his lordship. The Bible says when he, com- when he, when he talked about this to Nicodemus, he's like, do I have to get back in my mother's womb? No. <laughs> it's a spiritual experience. You become new. Your spirit becomes renewed. You become born again. And when we talk about being born again, when you're born again, you don't have to face the second death. It says this, if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, 
you'll only die once. If you've just experienced a natural birth, but never a spiritual birth, you'll experience the second death. But if you've experienced both a natural birth and a spiritual birth, you'll only face physical death. The second death has no power over your life. Let's stand together. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. He is good. How many are grateful today that Jesus came to this planet to save our lives and save us from hell? I am so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid that you have broken the power of hell off my life. We are so grateful. And those of you within the sound of my voice, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to do that today. And just, just lift your hand up and say, Jesus, I accept you as the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for delivering me from the punishment of hell. Thank you for going to the cross, allowing me to be born again so I don't have to take to face the second death. Jesus, I give you so much thanks for what you did for me. Thank you that I'm delivered and use me to share this good news with the world and with everyone I come in contact with that I will lay down my life for this message. Despite that my life is threatened, God, I will lay down my life to bring this message to the world. And today I say yes to Jesus. Come on, if you've never made that decision before in your life, and today was the day that you made that decision, just, just lift your hand up. Is there anyone here today that's first time making that decision? You say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And the decision that you made, you don't want to keep private. You want to let the world know. Amen?